So you may notice this morning that I made it back from China safely. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, yeah, I'm glad to. Uh, I didn't get in trouble or arrested or anything, and nor did I really do anything that was, uh, I didn't make any trouble, which is important. Um, it was amazing, so thank you for all your prayers and support in, in, in this project. Um, you know, wherever you go in the world, the same God, the same good news of Jesus Christ is transforming lives, and, and it's, it's just really cool to see it. I am not going to speak a lot about it this morning. I want to do a full debrief with you, and I'll have a, we'll do a, an evening, and I'll get some slides together, show you some pictures, and there's some things that are really, I think, important for us to understand about what I learned over in China uh, that are ap applicable to what we're doing here, and there's things that I learned over there that, ha that absolutely have no bearing on what we're doing here at all, at the, except to the fact that people are being faithful to where God has called them in their context. So, uh, but I'll give you a little preview. I'll give you a little, little taste of this. We met with uh, church leaders over there, and their churches, in spite of government opposition, in spite of a, a severe lack of resources in a lot of ways, they were doing quite well, and the churches were growing, and they were planting new churches. And so we asked these leaders, we said, look, what's working? Why, why, what do you, to what do you attribute you know, the growth of your churches? Because we're interested in this. We'd love to be healthy and growing as well. And the pastor said, the key to our success is we preach the word of God. I said, yeah, but what else? You know what, really? He said, we preach the word of God. I said, well, how do, you, how do people hear you preach the word of God? And he said, people uh, who know God's word and they know God, they invite their family members and their friends and coworkers to come to church where they hear the word of God preached. And God's word is powerful, and people come to know him through his word. And uh, it was that simple. There was no formula. There was no program. There was no, like, you know, I've got a, my bookshelf of, you know, church leadership and strategy and all these things. It's like, just preach the word. So let's do that this morning. We're going to turn to God's word. We're going to spend three weeks. It's sort of a mini-series if, if you track with us week to week about our vision statement as a church, our vision, and we state our vision like this, love God, love others, make disciples. And it integrates what Jesus called the, his, the, the greatest commandment, which we'll look at this morning, and as well as what we call the great commission as Jesus sent his followers to go and make other disciples. And we're going to jump back into the Gospel of Mark. We spent a lot, for those of you who have been tracking with us, we spent a lot of time in the Gospel of Mark this spring, the mystery of the kingdom, and Jesus came and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand, and the, the, you know, the kingdom of God is here, and he was unveiling this, uh, the, the mystery of this kingdom and being part of God's kingdom here on earth that he was ushering in, in himself and in his ministry. So uh, as Jesus is teaching about his kingdom, he is asked in this instant a very important question. And the question is this, what's the most important commandment in the law? What's the most important thing? God has given us all this, he's revealed himself, and he's given us all this great law. What's the most important thing? This is an important question for us today, for you. As followers of Jesus Christ, we want to never forget the most important central things of our faith. There's a lot of things we can get distracted by. There's a lot of theological questions. There's a lot of um, ideas in our world, but how do we stay focused on the most important things as individuals and as a church? 
If you're here this morning and perhaps you're not a follower of Jesus or you're just exploring who Jesus is or what the Bible teaches, this is an important question for you because as we answer this question, what is the most important commandment? As we answer that question, it's, it's cutting to the heart of what sets Christianity apart from all other systems of thought. It's, it's what, it is what is distinct and unique and necessary about Jesus, and I want to make that very clear this morning. And if that's you, I want it to be clear to you, and I'm glad you're here to hear that. So in three parts, I want to look at the question itself, Jesus' response, and then our response. So the question Jesus' response, our response. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this family, for this spiritual family, the Free Christian Church, as we gather in your name and as we have joy in worshiping you because you know us and you love us and you you interact with us and you speak to us. God, creator of all things, knowing and loving us, imperfect people, we thank you and praise you for that. And as we approach your word with our limited understanding this morning, we just pray by your spirit you would teach us great things about who you are. Open our hearts and our eyes to understand it this morning. We give it to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. First, the question, verse 28. It's printed on the back of your bulletin, if you want to follow along. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? This seems to me to be a very genuine question. Jesus has been debating other leaders there at the temple is the setting, and he's debating leaders. They're asking him ridiculous questions. There was one question they asked him about a woman who was married, and they said, look, what if a woman's married to a man and he dies? They don't have any kids. So she marries his brother, which is the, the law requires that, but he dies. They don't have kids. And then she marries the next brother, and this actually seven brothers. This happens seven times. They all die. There's no kids. It's this ridiculous hypothetical theological question, which they're just trying to confuse Jesus to see how smart he is and how, how well he can handle God's law, essentially the Old Testament, as we call it, the, the Hebrew Scriptures. And he answers them well. They ask another question, which isn't a ridiculous theological question. It was a hot-button political question about paying taxes. So, and so, so I'm a pastor, and uh, people ask me ridiculous, hypothetical, theological questions. People ask me hot-button political questions. And if I had the wisdom of Jesus to be able to, with great wisdom, answer these things, and I believe God is, you know, guiding me and helping me increase in wisdom. And you, as a follower of Jesus, people might ask you ridiculous questions or hot-button political questions. And just um, pray that we would know God's word in such a way that we could speak truth to people. But here is not one of these questions. This seems, this is somebody who's seen Jesus interacting and asks a good question. Hey, what's the most important command? In the Old Testament, depending on how you count it, there's about 613 laws that God gave to his people. So in any complex system of law, you've got to understand what, what is, what are the weightier matters of the law, and what are the lighter? What are the primary matters? What are secondary issues? And in complex law systems, sometimes law are at odds with each other, and you got to know how to make good decisions. Uh, Jesus, at other times in his teaching, had to deal with this. Uh, for example, at the Sabbath, the, the law was that you couldn't work on the Sabbath, but there were times when you kind of needed to work. In John chapter 7, Jesus said, look, 
you know, when a baby's born, a male child's supposed to be circumcised on the, on the eighth day. But what if that eighth day is a Sabbath? They're not supposed to be any work. Yet you still perform this ritual on the child, even though you're not supposed to do the work. It's, it's, it's important to, you, know, you, had to, you have to put one above the other. Jesus said, on, on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to work, but if your donkey or your, your, your ox falls into a, a ditch or into a hole, you're not, or your child, he said in the Gospel of Luke, aren't you going to help your child out even though you're not supposed to do work? You aren't you supposed to do what's good and not what's evil? And it just certain things take priority in complex law. So it's a genuine question. It's actually a really good question, and it's, but it's, it's also not a new question. This teacher who's asking Jesus this very important question, it, it's, it was an interesting topic for rabbis, for teachers of, of, of the scriptures to debate with each other. You know, what is at the key, what is at the heart of the law? There was a, a famous uh, Jewish teacher in the first century before Christ, and one of his students, his name was Hillel the Elder, very famous and important uh, teacher in Jewish thought. And one of his students went up to him and said, you know, teacher, uh, teach me the, the whole of the law while I'm standing on one foot. You know, basically, in the amount of time that I can balance myself here, just explain to me the whole Old Testament. And this wise teacher said this. He said, uh, what you hate for yourself, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole law. The rest is commentary. Go learn it. Which sounds a lot like Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself, or do unto others as you would have them do to you. Interesting. This is not a new question. There's, even in the Old Testament, there's other writers who summarize God's law. So David, King David, the, the psalmist, in Psalm 15, he basically reduces the law to 11 things. So he takes the 613 and said, this is who can be in God's presence, who can live in God's presence, someone who lives these 11 laws. And the prophet Micah, Isaiah does it a little bit too, but the prophet Micah reduced it to three things. He said, this is what the Lord has showed you. This is uh, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. You know, so essentially to, uh, to have a right relationship with God and a right interaction with your neighbor. It's, it's all a similar reduction of the law. But my point here is that this is a very good question. It was a good question to ask Jesus, and it's a good question for us too, because we need to stay focused on the primary things of our faith. So many side issues, so many secondary issues. So what does Jesus say? Now let's look at his response. Verse 29. The most important one, the most important commandment, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is, is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. So he basically sums up the law with the, the, the most important command in two things which he joins together. Love God and love your neighbor. He does it by quoting Deuteronomy 6.4 which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Again, this is uh, Deuteronomy 6.4 is what's known as the Shema. It was a very important verse in, in Jewish thinking and in, in the Hebrew Scriptures. It still is today. Jewish worship services, many of them still begin with these words. Hear, O Israel. Shema means to hear. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is uh, still to t- today a primary law. It, but note the degree of this command. It's all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the point, again, it's interesting to think about how do I love God with my heart? How do I love God with my strength? How do I love God with my mind and my understanding? You know, dividing it out. I don't know if Jesus really wants us to get hung up on the difference between the heart and the soul and the mind. That, you know, we could, it's interesting. I think Jesus' intent here is to say, with all of who you are, every ounce of your emotion, every ounce of your thinking, every ounce of your doing, you are to love God. It is an extreme measure of love because God is God and God is one. Jesus, so he's quoting Deuteronomy 6.4, love love God with all of who you are. And then he quotes Leviticus 19.18, where the law says, love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's not a command. That's not a command to love yourself. It's an assumption that you do love yourself. Uh, We we live in a world where sort of uh, popular understanding of psychology where there are people who don't love themselves and they don't don't have a self-worth and a self-value that is high and needs to have a higher... People need a higher self-esteem. But that's, that's not in sight with this statement. What's in sight here is an assumption that you love yourself, that you care for yourself, that you're alive, uh, that you feed yourself, that you, ha- you meet your own needs, and that your love for people around you needs to be the same as it is for yourself, that you would desire that they would be fed and their needs would be met and that they would be alive and healed. So... The, the love you offer would be equal to that love, that self-care and self-love. So this two-command summary, Jesus did pretty good. It's, it's a pretty good summary. It really sums up, you think about the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. That's sort of the beginning of the law. It's sort of an overview of all of the law. And if you look at the first four commands, it's essentially commands to love God with all of who you are. And the next six commands are about loving your neighbor as yourself. It, it really, it's, it's a very good summary And the response of the question asker is this. Look at verse 32. The man says, well well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one. There's no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and all your strength, and to love your neighbors yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. So this guy expands what Jesus said. He said, not only have you summed it up well, Jesus, but this is more important than the other parts of the law about offering the right sacrifices and ceremonies and that sort of thing. And again, this is, um, this is not shocking. He's not shocked at Jesus' answer. Uh, there's other places, even in the Old Testament, that say the same thing. Uh, the prophet Samuel said to King Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. So there's all the sacrifices that are required, but obedience to God is more important. Hosea 6.6, 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God cares more about the heart than the actions. I mean, that's in the Old Testament. Jesus is just reiterating what's there. He doesn't make this up. Prophets like Isaiah, true worship and true fasting is more about loving God and loving people than about the actual, just doing empty actions. So Jesus just gives the Old Testament answer. But you know, 
it wasn't a shocking answer. It's not a different answer. And quite honestly, it's not a different answer than any other religion in the world would give. And people notice this. I don't know if you've heard people say something along the lines of this. People will say, look, aren't all religions essentially the same? You're trying to connect with the divine, you know, love God, or connect with the God or the gods or the you know, spiritual forces of the world, and love your neighbor. Jew, Jews would be fine with that. The Old Testament, love God, love your neighbor, that's a good summary. Muslims, the Quran teaches to love God with your whole heart and to love your neighbor. Hindu, uh, Hindu scriptures say, do not, do not to others what ye do not wish done to yourself and wish for others too what ye desire and long for for yourself. This is the whole of Dharma. Heed it well. Sounds about the same. Confucianism, if one strives to treat others as he would be treated by them, he will come near to the perfect life. Native American spirituality, a Shawnee proverb says, do not kill or injure your neighbor, for it is not harm that you injure, for you injure yourself. But do good to him and therefore add to his days of happiness as you add to your own. Do not wrong or hate your neighbor, for it is not him that you wrong, you wrong yourself. But love him, for the great spirit loves him also as he loves you. Sounds about the same. New Age spirituality, you know, just love one another. It's, it, aren't they all essentially the same? Jesus affirms this too. But look at what Jesus says. Verse 34. When Jesus saw that this man, this teacher, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. If you came up to me after the service and said, Pastor, you're not far from preaching a good sermon. <laughs> you're this close. There's Fernando, the new song, I love it. You're not far from playing that song well. <laughs> it's a really good song. Not far. Your boss comes up to you and you, you finish the big project and the boss says, hey, you worked really hard on this project. You are not far from what I was looking for and what our clients need. You're not far. Jesus says you're not far from the kingdom. Not far means you're not in. That knowing this law to love God and to love your neighbors is not enough. And at least he's close. He says you're not far. Jesus talked to other people and he said, you're really far. There was a rich young man and he said, it's really hard for that person to enter the kingdom because he's so caught up in his wealth and his... This person who seeks to love God and to love neighbor, that person's actually really close. Other people are far. So at least you're close, but you're still not in. If the Jewish law and the law of most religions, you know, of some form of love of God, love of neighbor, it's, it's that important, but it won't get you in because religion doesn't work. Religious laws will never get you into God's kingdom. You're close, though. So how do we respond? Because now they ask Jesus no more questions. We don't know how this man responds. How, how do we respond to this? Other religions, their response is this. Try harder. You don't love God. Do more. Do more religious duty. Do more sacrifice. Do more asceticism. Do more praying. Do more practices. Love your neighbor. Do more for your neighbor. Do more good deeds. Try harder. 
But if the standard here is that I love God with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength, that's too high of a standard. No matter what religion you are, how devout, you're going to fall short of that standard of full love of God. And Scripture teaches we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Scripture teaches all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. The wages of that sin is death and separation from God. We are not in. We can't do it, and we deserve to die for not being able to follow the law of a holy God, even knowing the first and greatest and most important law can't bring us into the kingdom. The whole point in Jesus' ministry was not that we follow law, but that we follow him. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. He's celebrating, he instituted the Lord's Supper, which we'll, we'll partake of together in this service. But he's saying, this is my body, this is my blood, this is the ransom for the remission of sin. You're going to fall short, but I've done something to help you into this kingdom. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. He offers us forgiveness. Again, Romans 3.20, no one will be declared righteous in sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Romans 7.7, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law said do, unless the law said, do not covet. So the law to love God with my whole heart only tells me that I don't love God with my whole heart. The law of God to love my neighbor as myself reminds me that I don't love my neighbor as myself. If I thought the law of God was be nice because you can or if you want to or every now and then because it makes you feel better, if I thought the law of God was um, God's always there when I need him, but that's not God's law. God's law is I love him with all of who I am. God's love is that I love my neighbor sacrificially. So, so here's the good news. Romans 10, Christ, Jesus Christ, is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. The word end is the, the Greek word telos. It's the end or the goal or the point. Jesus is the whole point of all the law. That the law, to love God and to love my neighbor, all the... All these laws that I fail at drive me to need a Savior, to need this good news that Jesus fulfilled the law on my behalf, that Jesus took my penalty on my behalf. This is the good news. And so realizing that I fall short drives me to Jesus, and then as I receive his love and as I receive the Holy Spirit who now lives in me and changes me, now I can pursue that law with my whole heart, knowing that my failure has been taken care of. I can do it wholeheartedly. I can obey the whole law of God. That's the point here. So then why would we make this the vision of our church, that we would love God and love others? Why would we make the vision of our church something that is impossible to do perfectly and will, will never get us in? It's because we're in. It's because we've been accepted by God. We've received his grace. We've received his forgiveness. Again, knowing the law gets us nowhere, but Jesus takes us there. So we can actually pursue this with reckless abandon, with our whole hearts. We can actually pursue a love of God and pursue a love of our neighbors. We love him because he first loved us. I love thee because thou hast first loved me. We'll sing it. We'll sing it in a little bit. 1 John 4 says, We love because he first loved us. 
And anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. Jesus said it very simply, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And next week, we're going to focus on that phrase, love one another. How do we love one another? So what do you do with this? What do you do with this? This time tomorrow. So usually when I say this time tomorrow, you're picturing yourself at work or a normal Monday. Tomorrow's a holiday. So I hope you're not working and it's Labor Day. And actually, I love Labor Day more and more that I think about I think about, George, like what you're doing, and I think about how we, how our work is not just work, but our work is a way of using how God has blessed us to be a blessing to our community and to bring prosperity to places and to honor God with what he's done. So not this time tomorrow, hopefully you're eating burgers or something, but this time Tuesday, maybe you're at work, maybe you're thinking about How do I love God in this place? In China, one of the things that is attractive about Christianity is the Christians are different. That the co-workers and the family members of of Chinese Christians say, there's something different and I'm curious about it. And when we think about our lives, is our love different? Is our love in a different measure or different, the grace that we extend to others? And as you think about that, And if it's not, we just pray to God, God, change my heart. Help me to love so excellently that people will know that you are God. But I need you. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness because in my own effort, it is just very hard to do. But God is changing our hearts, and we can be people who are genuinely different. So think that's one thing this week. You could take this idea, bring it into your place of work. Uh, Another idea is Prayer Week. You got that booklet. If you didn't get a Prayer Week booklet, please take one on the way out. This starts a week from today. We're going to be a week of, of prayer and fasting together. And as we seek to know and experience God's love so that that love can change us and then we can use that love to love others, uh, prayer helps us to increase our ability to do so. So this week, as a, as a sort of an application of this message, take, look through that book. Consider how you might participate. You may not be able to do everything in there, but um, consider that. Because as we pray, God is at work in our hearts, changing us, guiding us, loving us. Jesus' love empowers us to love God and to love others wholeheartedly. Amen.